Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So Philippians chapter 1, starting to read at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thank you very much, Steffi, for reading. Good evening, everyone. Very good to see you uh, here. Please keep your Bible open there at page 1178, Philippians chapter 1, and we'll be looking at that in the next few minutes together. As we begin, uh, let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for ourselves tonight that you would open your word to us, uh, that you would open our hearts to respond rightly to your word. And we pray, as we sang earlier, that you would use your word tonight to bring us nearer, nearer what a church should be, to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, I believe that the most exciting and wonderful thing any of us can witness in the world today is the growth of the church. Now, by the growth of the church, I mean, of course, people uh, becoming Christians. That's hugely exciting to see. But also spiritual growth in those of us who already are Christians. Christians growing and maturing, becoming more like Jesus, more like what God saved us to be. That is amazing to see. Someone asked me this morning uh, whether I enjoy my job. Yeah, I do. Because I spend so much time seeing evidence of God at work among his people growing the church. If I try to unpick why that's so exciting to see, I think it's because of this. When I see the church grow, I'm seeing God at work. And at work doing something of eternal value. When you see someone become a Christian, you think, wow, that can only have been God at work. And it's so exciting because we know it's of eternal value and significance for them. When someone becomes a Christian, it's brilliant. That person is saved forever. One day they will join the heavenly choir singing praises to God. They are members of his eternal kingdom. It's wonderful. And it's the same when you see a brother or sister or even yourself changing and maturing as a Christian, because you know only God can do that. And it's so valuable because it'll be to his eternal praise and glory as we become more like Jesus, reflecting his beauty 
to the world around and bringing him glory as we do so. It's the greatest thing that God is doing in the world today, growing his church. It's a joyful thing to see. And I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. If you were here on the 3rd of March at the evening service, you'll remember that we had a baptism service here. And we had up the front Jake and Grace and Min Sung and Myung Suk and Daniel. And we heard something of their stories and what God has been doing in their lives. Weren't you encouraged if you were here? to hear of what God had been doing in their lives and to know the eternal value of what he's done for them. Wonderful to hear those things. I know that many of you were encouraged because I've spoken to you about it. God at work doing something of eternal value in his people. Or perhaps you can think back to times when you've seen a clear answer to prayer or God's enabled you to overcome a sin or he's changed an ungodly part of your character. All these things grow in us a joyful confidence that God is indeed at work doing something of eternal significance and eternal value. And that's so important because it'll keep us joyful and encouraged, pressing forward in the Christian life. And so we need to get good at seeing and celebrating signs of God's work among his people. Tonight we're going to discover another thing that can give us that joyful confidence that God is indeed at work among us doing something of eternal value. Tonight we're beginning a new series looking at the letter to the Philippians written from Paul to the church in Philippi. And over these 12 weeks as we explore this letter, we're going to see that this is an almost unrelentingly positive, happy letter. Several of the letters in the New Testament were written uh, to churches that were in trouble in response to things that were going wrong in the church, to warn and correct them. But Philippians is quite different because it's written to a church that is really very healthy and showing great maturity in the faith. We read later in the letter and elsewhere in the New Testament of the generosity of the church in Philippi. They were eagerly giving money to support the work of other Christians in need giving beyond their means. Please let us give more. Extraordinary love and generosity. They were really a model church. Paul writes to the Philippians with joyful confidence that God really is at work among them. And that confidence comes from something he's seen in them. Something we too need to learn to see and celebrate and pray for more of today, but which we might easily overlook and probably often do. And that something is this, gospel partnership. Now that might sound on the face of it a bit uh, unremarkable, like, well, maybe kind of dramatic miracles might have been slightly better evidence of God's work among his people. But actually, no, it wouldn't. We're going to see over the next few minutes that it is, in fact, hugely profound and powerful because gospel partnership shows God's work and brings God glory. Gospel partnership shows God's work and brings God glory. That is, it shows God is at work doing of something of eternal value. The letter opens with Paul bubbling over with thanks and joy. Take a look down from verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
Their gospel partnership leaves Paul joyful and, verse 6, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Their partnership gives Paul a joyful confidence that God really is at work among them. Why, you might ask, does their partnership in the gospel give Paul such confidence that God is at work among them? Well, for the answer to that, we need to understand what true partnership really is. We come across so many examples of partnership being used in a very weak way that we could easily misunderstand what Paul means here. Let me give you an example. Um, Perhaps you've heard of of town partnerships. Um, Sometimes it's called town twinning. When a town in the UK is partnered or twinned with um, another town somewhere else um, in another country. Um, You've seen it when you drive into a town. It says, welcome to, name of the town. And then under that, this town is partnered with, and then some town you've never ever heard of. Um, So apparently, um, Doncaster is twinned with Dandong in China. Um, and another, Wilmington, North Carolina, USA. Obvious matters, really. Um, And look, of course, it has absolutely no impact on the people of Doncaster that they're twinned with those places, and I dare say probably not for the people of Dandong and Wilmington either. I was looking this up, and it seems that the councillors of Sherbourne in Dorset got a little bit carried away with this. They are now twinned with no fewer than 26 foreign towns. Uh, presumably each one requiring the councillors who set up the partnership to take a taxpayer-funded ho- a business trip um, to secure the partnership. That, that's not really partnership. That's, that, that sort of partnership, it, it's just a, a vague, empty gesture of friendship. That's not what Paul's talking about. We get closer to what he means when we think of becoming a business partner, that kind of partnership. Because when you become a business partner, you invest heavily with your money, and that makes you committed. You'll work hard alongside your business partners, putting in the hours. Now, that is real partnership, but it's still not quite the sort of partnership that Paul's describing. Because in a business partnership, you're committed primarily because of self-interest. It's about protecting your investment and getting a good return on it. The sort of partnership that Paul's talking about here, this partnership in the gospel, is so extraordinary and eye-grabbing because it was characterized by the deep personal commitment of a business partnership, but without the self-interest driving it. The Philippians partnered with Paul even though it was costly to them and contrary to their self-interest. Real gospel partnership is standing and striving together through thick and thin for the advance of the gospel. Paul had enjoyed that kind of partnership with the Philippians. Take a look down at verse 7. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. That is, confident God has begun and will complete a good work in them. Since I have you in my heart, why For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. They're with him in it. You see, at the time of writing this letter, Paul was in prison for preaching about Jesus, and it wasn't the first time he had found himself in chains. We read in Acts chapter 16 that when he was there with them in Philippi, he was thrown into prison. There was a violent mob furious with Paul. Now, at that point, it would have made a lot of sense for the Philippian church to disassociate themselves with Paul. 
Partnership with him put their reputations at risk and perhaps even their physical safety. But they stood with Paul. He had to give a defense of the gospel when he was dragged into the marketplace in Philippi and put before the magistrates. The church could have distanced themselves from Paul at that point. Well, that's not my kind of Christianity. I'm not sure I'd quite have put it the way that Paul did. No, they stood with Paul. And when Paul was going around confirming the gospel, declaring Jesus as Lord and King of all, proving the truth of the gospel from the Old Testament, both in public sermons and privately with governors and emperors, the Philippians could have backed off, said, let's let Paul get on with that. He's the extrovert. He's the evangelist. That's not really my style. But no, they stood with Paul. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. They showed real gospel partnership. They sent money to support his ministry, giving more than they could afford. They remained faithful to Paul and the gospel he had taught them despite his and its unpopularity. They didn't quietly unfriend him on Facebook when the going got tough. They didn't stop eating lunch with him in a place that others could see him. They stood with Paul. They shared with him in the work of the gospel, standing and striving together through thick and thin. Their gritty, costly, selfless partnership in the gospel was a clear sign of God's work in them. Otherwise, no way would they have stood with Paul. You see, gospel partnership shows God's work. It's because Paul knows this partnership shows God's work, not just the resilience of the Philippians, that he overflows with thanks to God. Do you see that in verse 3? I thank my God every time I remember you. He doesn't just thank the Philippians and then move on. He thanks the one he knows is responsible for the partnership. And it's why Paul can be confident that this work won't just fizzle out in a few years' time. His confidence isn't that they'll keep doing what they've been doing. It's that God will keep doing what he's been doing. Verse 6, he's confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's confident about their future because God doesn't give up on his work halfway through. Some of my friends uh, have recently uh, bought a house up in Liverpool and have been doing some work on it, including getting a, back, a new back door uh, fitted. So they got a local man uh, to do it, a local builder, you know, proper scouser, proper scouser, that, that, that sort of guy. They got him in, a little bit scary, quite big. Um, and um, it turns out, um, sadly, uh, he's not so much of a proper builder. Um, he managed to put this door in, sure enough, uh, but it got a little bit tricky, and so they've now got this great big gap between the wall and the door frame at the top where he couldn't quite fit it properly. Um, and so they've, um, they've got a new door, but they've also got quite a bad draft. Um, so they've tried to get him on the phone. Um, they've tried to get him back, um, but he found it a bit tricky. It was hard work. They paid up front. Um, error, don't do that. Um, and so they aren't getting him back. He's lost interest. He doesn't want to finish the job. God, on the other hand, is a proper builder. When he starts a job, he finishes it. He doesn't give up because it's hard work or because he's lost interest. And that's why when Paul sees a real work of God taking place in the Philippians, he can be confident that God will continue that work right up until the day when Jesus returns. 
Now, you need to uh, concentrate carefully on what I'm about to say. Just, you need your mind and gear for this bit, all right? Paul's confidence that God is at work among the Philippians is based on their behavior, their partnership with him. But his confidence that they'll keep going as Christians isn't based on them. You're jolly good chaps, I'm sure you'll keep it up. No, not that. It's based on God's character. He who began a good work in you will carry it on. And that allows Paul to have far greater confidence than he could ever have done in mere humans, unreliable as we are. So Paul's joyfully confident that God's at work and will continue to be because he's seen their partnership in the gospel. Gospel partnership shows God's work. If we can learn to see and celebrate gospel partnership in the world today, it will give us a joyful confidence that God's at work among us. So where do we see it? It's easy to miss, but it's all over the place. How about making it known in the workplace that you're a Christian? The decision to do that is a decision to stand with other Christians, even though it will damage your reputation and perhaps even hold back your career. I was speaking with someone this week about how she seeks to share her faith during her lunch break, even though that can sometimes cause tensions. And I know loads of you are doing the same. It's gospel partnership, standing and striving together with other Christians through thick and thin to advance the gospel. And it's a joyful sign that God really is at work among us. The way we use social media can demonstrate gospel partnership. Posting something on Facebook or Twitter that makes it clear you stand with the biblical gospel. Now, some of you will probably be sitting there thinking, that's a very easy thing to do. That's not really gospel partnership, is it? But I think it is. For many, it really is a costly thing to do. By being clear about your faith on social media, you're exposing yourself to hundreds of people at once, your family, the friends that you have gathered over the years, and nailing your colors to the mast. It can feel like... I guess the digital equivalent of getting all of your closest, nearest and dearest and friends into a room and standing on a table and saying, I just want you all to know I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus is the Lord. I trust the Bible, even the bits that you don't like. Uh, It would be a scary thing to do, wouldn't it? Well, it's the digital equivalent of that. Anyone here who uses social media will have seen Christians who have taken a stand for their faith and really got it in the neck for having done so. It can be upsetting. It can be relationally costly. Then there are times when Christians stand not just with other Christians in general, but with a specific Christian like the Philippians did here with Paul, showing public support at school or uni or work with the Christian who stuck their head above the parapet and been open about their faith in the classroom, in the seminar, in the lecture, in the staff meeting, in the cafeteria, encouraging and supporting church leaders when they've made a costly stand for the gospel, as has happened here in recent times. Generous financial giving to the work of the church. We had our Vision 2020 a few weeks ago, and there was a big uplift in giving in response to that. For that to happen, many here will have made costly decisions because you wanted to give more. Gospel partnership. Those are all examples at an individual level, but it happens at the church level as well when we give financially to support other churches or when we fund mission partners, two of whom we were praying for um, earlier in the service. It's seen when other churches stand with us and associate with us, even though a little more distance might make their lives a bit more comfortable. 
What a joy it was to gather with 11 other churches back in March for the Renew South Yorkshire Day Conference, if you were there. Brothers and sisters across the area standing together united in the gospel. It's seen when we send people out on church plants and grafts to advance the gospel in other areas of Sheffield and South Yorkshire. That doesn't help Christchurch forward. It's giving, it's generous, it's costly, it's standing and striving with other Christians through thick and thin to advance the gospel. It's gospel partnership and it shows a real work of God. Doesn't it encourage and embolden you to know that our brothers and sisters here and at other churches around the area are making costly decisions and striving with us to advance the gospel? It certainly does me. And it's that that moves Paul to say in verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He loves them. We need to see the gospel partnership going on all around us and to celebrate the work of God in the church today. We rightly grieve when we see churches being unfaithful to the gospel, but let's not fail to celebrate when we see churches doing the opposite and standing firm. Gospel partnership shows God's work. And secondly, gospel partnership brings God glory. The same other-centered, gospel-hearted love that had moved the Philippians to partner with Paul, he now prays would grow and deepen to the glory of God. Take a look down at verse 9. Verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. It's possible to be driven by love, but not know how to make the best decisions. Since my wife and I uh, had uh, children, a number of people have given us parenting books, which I always think is a kind of a brave uh, thing to do, to give someone a parenting book. Uh, We've seen the way you handle your children, and, uh, well, happy birthday. Um, uh, I don't blame them. We needed the help. But please stop giving them. It's beginning to get a bit hurtful. Um, That's a joke. Don't worry. We do need the help. Um, (laughs) When people have given us those books, I take it that they don't think that we don't love our children. They probably, hopefully, understand we've kind of got that. But maybe we don't know the best way to direct our love for our children, the best way to help them to flourish and grow. And the same is true in our relationships with others in the church. We will bring more glory to God as a church as we grow in our love for each other. Yes, but more than that, as our love itself grows in knowledge and depth of insight. How do I best love my brother or sister in the church? How can I be most wise in how I look to serve them? What will be the most helpful thing to say in this situation? What's the best way to encourage them to keep trusting in Jesus? Not just to love each other, but to love each other in the way that is best. That's what Paul's praying for the Philippians here. So that they, and I'm reading from halfway through verse 10 now, so that they may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's as the Philippian church continues to buzz with other-centered, discerning love for others that they'll be effective gospel partners, pure and blameless in their conduct, filled with the fruit of righteousness, all to the glory of God. What do you pray for a model church? You pray that they would go on to be very spiritually fruitful to the glory of God. 
Paul's confident that they will make it to the day of Christ Jesus because God's a proper builder who doesn't give up on his work. But his prayer is about the manner of their arrival. Paul's longing is that their love would guide them to the best decisions that would produce a massive spiritual harvest to the glory of God, something of which, which is of eternal value. Gospel partnership shows God's work and it brings God glory. Here's how we can each respond uh, to what we've heard tonight. By asking ourselves throughout this week, where can I see and celebrate and thank God for the gospel partnership around me? Where can I see and celebrate and thank God for the gospel partnership around me? And then to pray for us here to be a church of deepening love in gospel partnership that brings him glory. Philippians is all about gospel partnership. And we'll see in the coming weeks that this letter is packed with examples of people lovingly denying themselves for the sake of their brothers and sisters in the faith. But towering above them all is the example of one who stood with us when it would have made a lot more sense to keep his distance. The famous example in chapter two of Jesus, who, it says, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. If we are to be a church like the Philippians, it will be as we fix our gaze on the one who stooped from the throne of heaven to the cross of Calvary. Because the more I see his love for me, the more I will stand and strive together with my brothers and sisters through thick and thin for the advance of the gospel to the glory of God. And as that happens, we will have more and more cause to see and celebrate that God is indeed at work among us, doing something of eternal value. And that is the most exciting and wonderful thing that any of us can witness in the world today. Let's pray. I'm going to pray using Paul's prayer here in Philippians 1. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of your holy name. Amen.